0: PGCE Research Bites, student teacher research from the team behind Emma and Tom Talk Teaching.
1: Hello and welcome to PGCE Research Bites. My name is Kerry Bevan and I'm the subject lead for MFL and this afternoon I have Rhiannon with me and we're going to discuss the first assignment. So perhaps Rhiannon you can tell me the topic the broad topic that you were given by your part, legal partnership school and how you narrowed that down for the assignment.
0: Yeah, sure. So my f- topic they gave me was quite broad. It was um, forging positive relationships and improving low level disruption in the classroom. So I kind of panicked because I felt like that was sort of two topics in one. Yeah. And I thought, well, at first I thought, oh, that's a great topic because it's, you know, really interesting. And mm. I think that As a language teacher, you having kind of positive relationships in the classroom is very important. I mean, for every subject, but Mm. because confidence is so low in language, I think it's extra important. So I was excited for the topic. And then I thought, oh, goodness, how am I going to to narrow
1: that down? Yeah. So how did you? I mean, that's that's a huge topic. As you said, I think it is two topics in one. So how did you go about that? What was the process that you undertook to do that?
0: So to be perfectly honest, I just um, sort of spent a lot of time googling positive relationships in the classroom and on, you know, a met search and other sort of research websites. And one thing that kept coming up for me was um, restorative practice, mm-hmm. which I had kind of been aware of because in my CP1 they used elements of it, mm-hmm. and so I thought, okay, that's interesting, and. Amongst the, the kind of references to positive relationships, it was also referencing behaviour. Okay. So that kind of linked... They the, were linked together. Yeah, the, the, the positive relationships and the low-level disruption. Mm-hmm. So I was a bit apprehensive about kind of going for that because it's a really... And we'll talk about it a little bit more later, I think. But yeah. it's a big subject and it's a big thing for a school to think about doing. Mm-hmm. So it felt like if I were to recommend... Becoming a restorative practice school, it would be quite a big thing. Big step. Yeah, yeah but I thought it's it's fitting the the theme that they've given mm-hmm. me. It's fitting it perfectly. So,
1: yeah.
0: Um, so yeah, yeah. that's how great. I
1: found. So, can you tell me then about the pieces of literature that you that you chose? Yeah. So I wanted. I, I read
0: quite a lot in the beginning, just about what restorative practice mm-hmm. is and where it comes from, and restorative justice, and a lot of that was set in the states because Mm -hmm. it's an idea that really did come from america i think from from my research but i wanted it to with the the six texts to sort of cover different aspects Mm -hmm. and for each text to have a a purpose for the school to to kind of read or or be Mm -hmm. aware of so the first one was a text which talked to five teachers who had been um, in a school that had been doing restorative practices for five years, which from the research that I saw was quite unusual mm-hmm. because most of these schools that are doing restorative practices have only been doing it for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And so the first the first um, article was talking directly to the teachers and asking them their personal experiences with, um, you know, using these these techniques and how it worked, And it was very positive, kind of overwhelmingly overwhelmingly so. And it talked, it brought up a lot of topics, which I then found again in other articles that I read, like the importance of of language, the language that you use kind of, in a way, that's sort of the linchpin, I think, to restorative practices changing the way that we speak. Mm-hmm. So that was sort of the main thing that came up in that piece, but it still felt like a very small group of people who, obviously this wasn't, this wasn't discussed in the article, but, um, the obviously were enthusiastic teachers about this topic. And they also brought up a lot of concerns that also came up in many of the texts, like the the fact that there's exam pressures, Mm -hmm. there's time pressures. There is the pressure of training. You need to be properly trained to to do restorative practice. So that kind of led me to my second piece. Mm -hmm. The first piece was sort of personal stories and examples. The second article was a lit review of 34 different articles about restorative practice. So it was um, quite data-driven mm-hmm. um, as opposed to personal stories. And in that, it sort of had lots of information about what are the most popular um, activities mm-hmm. or restorative practice practices in schools and what the impact was mm-hmm. of those. I know that there they had really strict inclusion criteria, okay. including kind of that all of the articles had to be published in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And from that, the results from the articles were generally positive mm-hmm. and that restorative practice had, practices have a positive impact on relationships and behaviour. But one of the things that I picked up in my research, which I kind of, came across, I I mentioned later on in the other cabs as well, is that lots of schools seem to do kind of, I called it in my assignment quasi restorative practice, which is kind of taking elements of okay. it, which is what I saw in my, in my first practice as well. But sometimes those, taking those elements ends up almost being like a punishment for the students. So instead of, we're going to look at this, um, we're going to talk about, or whatever issue happened, or or kind of as a, a standard thing that you do in 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 school, talking about relationships and why things happen, mm-hmm. it becomes there's been a conflict. Yeah. We have to meet with the teacher to have a restorative, <laughs> and that's basically the a tension. Mm-hmm. And even if the if the intention behind it is to clear relationships and kind of solve things a little bit, all the student is thinking is I want to be at break time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but so what I was interested that I wished that I could have the information I wished I could have found from that article, and I didn't find at all actually, was is doing these little bits or, or yeah. what does do these little bits of restorative practice have a positive impact at all, and potentially do they have a harmful mm-hmm. impact? So. That's something I didn't find in okay. any of the, the pieces any that i
1: needed.
0: Yeah. yeah, and maybe that's some research to maybe be Maybe
1: that's for another, yeah, another master's.
0: <laughs> so my third cap was comparing or connecting restorative practice with social emotional learning. And the reason that I found that interesting is because a lot of the time when you're reading at restorative practice, it seems to be used to deal with conflict. Mm -hmm. Whereas what it suggests in this piece is that, or this article, is that restorative practices can improve social interaction Mm -hmm. and social skills in general, which really links, I felt, to the curriculum for Wales Mm -hmm. and that kind of confident, um, capable individuals and, Mm -hmm. and healthy individuals. And also one of the things that came up in that article that I found particularly interesting was the need for whole school or whole community buy-in to the topic to the idea of restorative practice because it's quite controversial I think because we've all grown up in a society where you do something wrong and you get punished Mm and and there are restrictions and there are rules and um, there definitely are rules involved with restorative practice but I think it has sort of negative um, or there are negative connotations to it thinking that it's a kind of soft way of Mm -hmm. approaching not there's anything wrong with softness but it talks about how, if in order for it to work properly, it needs to be something that the whole school, all of the staff, and even and the, the governors parents. and the parents, yeah. yeah, exactly, the whole community is in agreement with and is they are practising that themselves, not just, you know, student to teacher, mm-hmm. but student to student, staff to staff, governor to staff, you know, all, all of those Um, on all of those levels and that article actually led me to I think it's my fifth um Mm -hmm. which was about the theory of how to it was was kind of a guide to how to get um schools to or other teachers and staff members to buy into an idea like restorative practice Mm -hmm. and it's um there is a model. I think it's the change diffusion model or something like that, mm-hmm. and it's all about how you can um, effectively, if you're going to make a change, any kind of change, how you can get that to happen successfully and for the change to stick and to have, you know, everyone involved accepting it, um, and you know, not in a not just accepting it but being excited about mm-hmm. it and so this uh, article actually applies that directly to restorative practices and i think it's really useful also i think i did mention this in my assignment that it's a very useful piece even if you're just focusing on curriculum for wales because they, you know all the schools at the moment in wales are going through the huge change mm-hmm. and i think that we probably all experience that not everyone is necessarily on board with mm-hmm. the change and so it breaks down for example um that there are different kind of people, categories of people in any community. You're people who people who are so excited to try something new immediately, people who are very skeptical, people who have a lot of respect, naturally people respect them, and how um, if you can get those kind of people on board, often mm-hmm. that kind of diffuses through, this, through the community and people think, okay, if this person thinks it's mm-hmm. a good idea. So it has a lot of practical advice about um, you know how to approach a new a new system um and specifically to you know aiming at restorative practice and then my i think it's my fourth camp mm-hmm. i jumped yeah. um was a, a completely different kind of article again uh, sorry it was an article it's a book i chose a chapter from a book um and i think the author's name is finnis mark finnis and He's kind of a leader in restorative practice mm-hmm. in the UK. And I found the, the whole book really interesting and really engaging and easy to read because it's it's talking directly to the teacher and it's full of examples of conversations that you might have with students. Mm-hmm. And it's very, you know, you can see yourself or other people in it. Uh, but again, it, it, is, it is overwhelmingly positive about um, restorative practice. And I felt like this... that that text is really useful if you want to get your staff or your community, your parents to agree to the idea of becoming a restorative practice school. It's a really good text to give them because it's so easy to read, it's really clear, and you can really see the positive, the positive, the benefits Mm -hmm. of of restorative practice. As I said before, uh, restorative practice does have this reputation, I think, for being kind of soft, and he talks about how that's not the case. You do have rules and you do have expectations. Um, and I think having that sort of practical examples is really helpful. And also one of the things that was interesting about that chapter is that he talks about instead of schools having a behavior policy, they should think about having a relationship policy. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he says is that that everyone who is implicated in the policy should be, you know, take part in creating it instruction yeah exactly and that it should be you know produced and written in a way that students will want to read it and mm-hmm. so i looked at the behavior policy of my school which right. obviously kind of linguistically it's accessible it doesn't use difficult mm-hmm. words but you know it's 16 pages it's aimed at teachers that mm-hmm. you know parents will not want to read it, let alone students because that's not the i'm not criticizing yet that's just not the the point of that mm. document but the idea of having a relationship policy that students might want to w- actually see and again perhaps that could be a um a poster an informational poster rather than a yeah. sort of word document okay. uh, and the final article that i looked at was a really interesting sort of idea about creating a virtual peace room so peace rooms are um common in restorative practice it's kind of a space that you can come to to talk about something that's happened Mm -hmm. or um and there are certain rules about when you're in this space the language that you use and the way that you treat other people and that kind of thing which hopefully then sort of diffuses to Mm -hmm. outside of the room um but the idea was can you make a virtual version of that peace room okay um and it was the article was written i think in 2017 so before the pandemic but I feel like it became you know even more relevant Mm -hmm. post-pandemic and it hasn't been piloted it was just an idea so I think it was something that could if it were piloted it could be something really interesting Mm -hmm. but um, for me one of the most interesting things so it would be kind of like a social media platform Mm -hmm. but specifically for students at the school to kind of air grievances and I think what struck me is that a lot of what is happening, you know, conflicts and things that happen in school are because they come from things that have happened online. Yeah. And one of the interesting ideas in this virtual peace stream they had, and I don't know how realistic this is because of data protection, but they wanted you to be able to sort of copy and paste or something or screenshot things or link in some way, things that happened on one social media platform and bring it into this virtual peace stream. So if something, you know, some argument happened on Instagram, it can be talked about in this this peace room. And I thought, thought oh, that was really interesting because it connects the idea of using restorative practices in their actual lives, not just their mm-hmm. school life. Um, because, you know, I can imagine, obviously you want, if you have restorative practices working well in the school, you hope that that will follow them through their lives and that they can confront conflict in the future you know, using some of those Mm -hmm. strategies. But sometimes I think it's difficult for learners to link what they do at school with what's happened in their real life. And I thought that's a really lovely idea, that there could be this resource and it connects it more to, you know, how they... Because the article also talks a lot about, there's a lot of evidence that punishments for things like cyberbullying Mm -hmm. are not a deterrent at all. Partly because I think they're talking about how something to do with the teenage brain Mm -hmm. that that it doesn't see that sort of risk as something to stop them it's so distant but if they can sort of deal with it head-on in this peace room Mm -hmm. um, potentially it could have positive effects the only problem that i saw reading it, and this is something that came up again and again actually in the articles is that there's a higher rotation on teachers Mm -hmm. so who is going to be manning this room because the idea also is that it's not just the students together in this room there is a professional there as well yeah. um, or at least maybe not all the time but at least kind of looking at it so is that a teacher you know what are the practical implications of having that and that came up like I said in lots of the articles and um, one of them I can't remember which one it was now but it talked I think it was the cap three um, the one about social emotional learning mm. it talks about how staff members somehow magically make time to do these restorative practices. Aren't they wonderful? And I was reading it and I was thinking that's not good for staff well-being, you know, and that's actually one of the recommendations that I later had was if you're going to do restorative practices, it needs they need to be kind of timetabled in, and there needs to be time and money, which is obviously a, a stumbling block yeah. um, to doing this um, in order for it actually to be sustainable.
1: Thank you, Rianna, that's, you know, a <laughs> very, very that's comprehensive <laughs> um, overview of, of the piece of literature you looked at. As you were talking there, you sort of mentioned that you found this in in several pieces of literature that you looked at. Did you find as you were writing that you were f- referring back and forward to, you found obviously obvious connections as you were doing that?
0: Yeah, definitely. That's one of the, I think, like, in order to kind of answer the question that I asked myself yeah. about, what would be the result of using restorative practice on positive relationships and improving low level disruption. Um, I needed to look at them all in one because and there were constant connections coming up between them like naturally the same themes come up and again and again so and which is partly why I chose as I said I chose those texts because they or they connected but they show sort of different angles of the same issue through different lenses yeah
1: yeah so you've mentioned one recommendation that you made um what were the other recommendations
0: so i recommended as i said you know having strict times or or plotted in timetables and one of the things was one of my recommendations was linking to the piece about how to get staff you know staff buy-in is selecting kind of carefully selecting staff members to send be trained mm-hmm. in restorative practice and kind of picking people who um they the school feels would be optimistic and open to change but who also you know perhaps it's people who've been at school for a while and people respect their opinion mm-hmm. and so hopefully they could come back having done their training and kind of naturally disseminate mm-hmm. that information so that was one one recommendation i also recommended um that they if the school really was considering becoming a restorative school in the kind of full sense, not sort of picking pieces, that they connect with other schools in the community, Mm -hmm. particularly kind of their feeder schools. Yeah. Because um, I think that actually a lot of primary schools do do some of these restorative Mm -hmm. practices. And even if they don't, maybe it's something that they could consider doing as well, if not to the same level, at least sort of incorporating some of those ideas so that when the students come in, Year mm-hmm. seven, they've got an idea already, so it's not something totally new for them. Um, so, another recommendation was that almost, perhaps even before they start doing restorative practices with the students, to start doing it as as a staff, as a school. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if there are issues that come up, and not just issues, because I think it's something you can use in a positive, not just for conflicts, but in positive mm-hmm. ways as well. So, to do it amongst the staff. Also then I talked a little bit about how you might trial it, whether you would trial it with um, the first years or whether you might trial it with a, a group that um, possibly the, the the students need it the most okay. or one of those teachers that you've set on training who feels really positive about it so that again hopefully the the outcome could be more positive than if you get a sort of sceptical teacher to start it immediately. And also I suggested that they could, you know, this is something for the, if our teachers are going to be researchers, yeah. if the, that idea of the virtual peace room, if they could do some research okay. on that themselves. And also the other, I'm not sure if it was an official recommendation, but I definitely did to talk about how one of the things that the article about change and how you can introduce change, says that sometimes it's a good idea to piggyback things onto um, another kind of change, as, you know, for example, the curriculum. Okay. Because if, you know, the community is ready for a big change now, <laughs> it might actually be, although it seems overwhelming, to also, you know, add this huge other element to the school. It could be the exact right moment mm. of, you know, we're changing now anyway, it's all going to come together. And so that was a possible
1: opportune moment
0: yeah, well. yeah yeah
1: so what do you think now your next steps are both as a practitioner and as a researcher you know? so I think so one of the things that kept, like
0: I said kept coming up was the importance of how you use language and um obviously as a language yeah. that's important to me but whether it's in whether you're in a school that has restorative practices or not the language Of restorative practice I think is really valuable and the kind of not placing blame and thinking about what are the reasons for these things and what you can do to move on and I think that's something that definitely I will you know take on Mm -hmm. in as a as a practitioner and also I think that that is something being kind of amenable to to changing your language is important for everything whether it's kind of using more Welsh, Mm -hmm. or whether it's, you know, being um, sensitive to students' pronouns or whatever it is. I think being open to changing how we speak and kind of being aware of it, because I think often we sort of speak without thinking, Mm -hmm. um, which is natural, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) sometimes, you know, I think that's something that I'll take with me as a practitioner. And in terms of, as a researcher, I think that, What I found helpful about doing this particular assignment was I've never done this kind of assignment before where you're you're sort of reviewing six texts almost separately. I've always sort of in the past been kind of bringing in other evidence to support or contradict Mm. um, my own thoughts or, or other evidence that I found. But kind of looking at these things individually kind of gave me quite like I said a sort of 360 view of this yeah. topic and it was quite yeah that was quite useful I think to sort of just focus on being critical and um, but also kind of you know positively critical and possibly negatively critical on the individual pieces the um, individual articles or text as opposed to kind of taking one idea from them and kind of
1: yeah.
0: mashing it up I don't know if that makes yeah, sense <laughs>
1: Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experiences and and sharing your literature reviews with us today. Thank you. Thank you, (laughs) Gary.
0: PGCE Research Bytes comes from the team behind Emma and Tom Talk Teaching and is presented this week by Kerry Bevan. It showcases the best student-teacher research from the Cardiff Partnership for Initial Teacher Education. Thanks to Rhiannon Ashcroft from PGCE Secondary Modern Foreign Languages who joined us today to share her research. Podcast artwork is by Beth Blandford and the music is by Cameron Stewart. We'll be back with a regular episode next week and PGCE Research Bytes will be back soon.